The text chosen for this afternoon's sermon is found in 1 John 2, verse 15 through to 17. which reads as follows. Do not love the world or anything in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For everything in the world, the cravings of sinful man, the lust of the eyes, and the boasting of what he has and does comes not from the Father, but from the world. The world and its desires pass away, but the man who does the will of God lives forever. The sermon for this afternoon was prepared by Reverend Veldman from the Free Reformed Church of Southern River, Western Australia. After the reading of the sermon, we will sing from Psalm 73, verse 1, 5, and 8. Beloved congregation of our Lord Jesus Christ, the first letter of the Apostle John is dominated by two main thoughts. God is light and God is love. In developing these thoughts, John stresses that confessing God is light and God is love has consequences for the way that we live. After all, God's children must also practice what they believe. Just saying all the right things doesn't bring us anywhere if at the same time we do not seal with our deeds what we confess with our mouth. As far as our life before the Lord is concerned, there should be harmony between doctrine and life. If our faith is truly a living faith, it should be reflected in the way that we act and in the way that we speak, the way in which we spend our time and our money. Briefly, our life should always be Christ-focused, wherever we are and in whatever we do. Since in Christ the darkness of sin has been dispelled from our life, and from now on the light of God's grace shines over our life, we should now also rejoice in this light. And this is not just in words, but also in deeds. In chapter 1, verse 6 of his letter, John writes, If we say we have fellowship with him, that is God, and walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. We dealt extensively with these first words in the first sermon on 1 John, highlighting that as God's children, we ought to walk in the light and do this joyfully. The walking in the light, brother and sister, brings us to the text chosen for this afternoon's sermon. This walking in the light also means we cannot be friends with the world. John writes in chapter 2, verse 15, if anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. You may say, that's quite a statement, yet, beloved, how serious really is this? After all, we cannot serve two masters, as the Lord Jesus Christ made it clear in the Sermon on the Mount, as we find in Matthew 6, verse 24, you cannot serve God and mammon. Mammon, literally it says riches. In this context, one could refer to today's affluent society with all the temptations involved. It can happen so easily that as church members, somehow we try to get the most out of two worlds. Of course we are Christians and we want to serve the Lord. Let no one doubt this. Yet at the same time, we don't want to miss out on the enjoyment of this life the sports, the drinking, the nightlife, and the latest movies, etc. We firmly believe that these two can easily be mixed together. After all, it's not that we live for these enjoyments of life. Well, beloved, are you sure? 
it might be good for all of us to examine ourselves on this score, to examine ourselves whether sometimes we do not hang on too much to what the world has to offer, whether some of these pleasures do not have too much a place in our life, be it in the sports or the drinking or the watching of movies or wasting too much time on the internet or just to mention a few things. To examine ourselves this afternoon, we will listen to a sermon with the following theme. <clears throat> the apostolic warning not to love the world. We will deal with the following three questions. First, what is meant by the world? Second, why are we not allowed to love the world and what does it mean loving the world? Third, what is the alternative? Our text starts with the words, do not love the world. Yet someone may ask, what's wrong with showing love for the world? How is this word of John to be reconciled with that other word he wrote in the gospel narrative where he speaks even about God loving the world? I think of that well-known text, John 3, verse 16, which reads, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. God so loved the world, and now we hear we should not love the world. To explain this, brother and sister, one has to look at the fact that, like so many other words, example, the word bank, this has the meaning of a financial institution. But the same words can be used for the bank of a river. Well, like so many other words, so also the word world has different shades of meaning. <clears throat> as regards to scripture, sometimes the word world refers to this earth as created by God. For example, I may refer to Psalm 24, verse 1, where we read the following. The earth is the Lord's and all its fullness, the world and those who dwell therein. That's the world in which God gave us a place to work for him, but also to enjoy. Indeed, yes, also to enjoy. After all, this is our Father's world created by him. That's why the Apostle Paul can write in 1 Timothy 4, verse 4 and 5, his message over against those who lived a world-avoiding life, considering all that was material is evil, and a Christian should have nothing to do with this. Refuting this heresy, Paul writes, thus, living in our Father's world, there is indeed much to be enjoyed. At the same time, we should not forget that sin broke into this world and stained many things. This grieved our Heavenly Father deeply, since he loved the world created by him, even so much that after the fall into the sin, he gave his son to redeem this world. That's what John writes about his gospel narrative, God's saving love in Christ. In that way, there was nothing wrong with loving the world. Perhaps we should have a, perhaps we should have a bit more of this particular love for the world. For example, example, the love and desire to win also others for Christ, saving love for the world. Yet scripture uses the word world also in different way, namely as the place where the devil rules and where people rebel against God. The world of temptations, it's similar to the word darkness used by the Apostle John in this same letter. These are the powers which lure us away from God. Well, beloved, it's love for that world which is incompatible with the love of the Father. That's why James can write in his letter, friendship with the world is enmity with God. Know well, beloved, whoever flirts with the enemy soon becomes a traitor. Hence, let us examine ourselves where we stand with respect to the world 
and where Satan rules. I am afraid, beloved, that all too often we try to water down this radical comment not to love the world. After all, can't we enjoy just a little bit of what the world has to offer? If we indeed have to cut out everything in the end, what is there then still to be enjoyed in this life? Does this not make life boring and unattractive and old-fashioned? Don't we have to stay in tune with what is going on around us? We don't have to live as monks in a monastery, do we? We also worship in this world and church in this day and age. When stressing this particular aspect, one can indeed get the feeling that as I have read it somewhere, the church can look like a black and white photograph from a bygone age in comparison with the world's multicolor video presentation. Therefore, can't we enjoy just a little bit from it? Would this really bring our faith in danger? What's wrong with it? That is often the question that we hear. For example, when parents say to their children, you can't go there, or you can't do that, yet tell me what's wrong with it. Where does it say in scripture that I cannot do this? Do you realize, young people, that at the bottom these questions are totally wrong? When we truly rejoice in the fact that in Christ we have been redeemed from the darkness of sin, we not only no longer want to walk in the darkness, but not even in the twilight either. Instead, we want to enjoy the full light, and therefore, we will make a point to stay away from that borderline, <clears throat> where so easily that sinful magnet <clears throat> within us starts playing up, asking the question, what's wrong with this? Often originates from a desire still to pick a few grains of pleasures from this world. Therefore, young people, and this applies to adults as well, whenever we ask that question, what's wrong with it? Let us examine ourselves whether we ask it because we still want to enjoy some pleasures of the world or whether also in enjoying our leisure time we want to live Christ-focused. <clears throat> Do not love the world, the Apostle Paul in his letter to the Romans writes the same saying, Do not be conformed to the world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what is good and acceptable and the perfect will of God. Remember, beloved, the world lives according to the flesh, yet we, renewed in Christ, are to live according to the Spirit. The world lives in unrighteousness, but we are to do the will of God. The world lies under the sway of the evil one and thrives on doing the works of darkness, yet we are of God and our desire should be to please him. Beloved, we cannot serve two masters. That's why John writes, if anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. Therefore, don't love the world, nor the things that are in the world, says John. Let us have a closer look at what it means to love the world and why we are not allowed to do so, which brings us to the second point of this afternoon's sermon. In verse 16, John describes in more detail what is meant by <clears throat> the things that are in the world. He mentions the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. John is not speaking here about specific things like money, possessions, etc., but rather about our attitude, our stance towards things. The worldly characteristics which verse 16 speaks are in fact reactions going on inside of us when we consider the things around us. In other words, it refers to our sinful nature against which we all have to fight as long as we live on this earth. 
So often we identify worldliness with going to places like the pub, the cinema, or the nightclubs. That's the world. Yet the Apostle John shows the world affects us much more deeply than that. The motives and attitudes of our minds and the wills are what ultimately dictate our actions. I think here of what the Lord Jesus once said with the words found in Mark 7, verse 20 to 23. And if you could please open your Bibles to this passage as we find the words in the Apostle Mark 7. Verse 20 to 23, where we read as follows. He went on, what comes out of a man is what makes him unclean. For from within, out of a man's heart, comes evil thoughts, sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, greed, malice, deceit, lewdness, envy, slander, arrogance, and folly. All these evils come from inside and make a man unclean. With regards to the things mentioned in verse 16, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life, the early church fathers commented on this list pointing to paradise where Adam and Eve lived in a perfect world. However, Satan entered this perfect world with some very insinuating questions. Did God really say, you shall not eat of the tree of the garden? Did God really mean it when he said, you shall surely die? These questions caused Eve to doubt. Next, we read in Genesis 3, Eve had another look at the tree of knowledge of good and evil. She saw that this tree was good for food, the lust of the flesh, pleasant to the eyes, the lust of the eyes, desirable to make one wise, the pride of life, exactly the three things mentioned by John. Thus, the temptation came from inside. It was man's response to the insinuating questions of the serpent. The response was to get out of the straitjacket, example, what man all of a sudden considered to be a straitjacket, to get free, to start living, to start really living. Well, beloved, nothing has changed. That's how this world still tries to attract our desires to start living. The point now is how do we respond to it? Do we see through this deception that so often the enjoyment offered to us is an enjoyment unto death? Example, an enjoyment away from God or ruining our bond with God. The first thing mentioned by the Apostle John is the lust of the flesh. This points to the fulfillment of our fleshly desires, for example, eating and drinking, money, sexual desires. Again, in itself, these things may not be sinful. For all that God has created is good. Yet because of our sinful inclination, so often we misuse God's gracious gifts. Flesh in scripture, this refers to the corrupt nature of man, which can act as a tyrant so that we become controlled by our cravings. At the bottom, however, it's the devil that holds us prisoner. Let me just try and make it clear with a few examples taken from real, real life. Then I think of parties where also alcohol is served. In itself, this does not necessarily have to be wrong. And so it starts with just a few drinks. However, as the evening progresses, we keep drinking, becoming more and more a slave to our own cravings. It was already a few years ago that I heard that this is quite normal for our young people to drink six or more drinks on one evening. Nothing wrong with that, is it? But meanwhile, the devil playing on our sinful desires is luring us away from God. 
Then we may say, what's wrong with six or more drinks? I could still drive home. I didn't get drunk. However, God is not glorified in this. Just one more example. As boy and girlfriend, you love each other dearly, and you also want to show this to one another. But why not do already beforehand what belongs to the marriage? What's wrong with that if you really love each other? But again, it's only seeking gratification of the flesh. It's what we want and not what God wants. Elsewhere, it reads in Scripture, we should not set our desires on the works of the flesh, but on the fruits of the Spirit instead. Next, the Apostle John mentions the lust of the eyes. The eyes are important parts of our body. That's why Job had made a covenant with his eyes not to look upon the wrongful things. Likewise, does the author in Psalm 119 pray, Turn my eyes... Turn away my eyes from looking at worthless things and revive in me thy way. So easily, our eyes can arouse sinful desires. You see something with your eyes, and you long for it. The next step is that you give into it that longing. In this interpretation, the expression, the lust of the eyes, is taken literally. Yet one can also put on a wider perspective. Then I think of the expression, looking with your eyes towards God. This means that you put your hope and your trust in God. Likewise, one can set his eyes on the things of the world, charmed by the glitter of it. Somewhere I read that the eyes are the main bridge between our sinful flesh and the outside world. With regards to this world, which lies under the sway of the wicked one, it plays on our sinful desires of man. In today's society, with its increased technology, this has reached alarming proportions. I only have to refer to the TV and to the internet and all that can be watched there. Again, then, the evil one does not lie in the TV or in the internet itself, but again, the point is, what stand do we take in using these types of media? It doesn't help to throw out the TV, and it doesn't help to throw out your computer, since sin lives in your heart. It's in our heart that we have to make the decision that we cannot love God and the world. After all, the lust of the eyes goes much further than TV and the internet. I think of the sin of materialism whereby our covetous eyes say, I see it, and now I want to have it also. This is the sin on which the advertising media preys and grows fat. I think of John 2, verse 16, when the advertisers are appealing to you. That exclusive holiday, that new set of clothes which would make you look really great, that perfume, or that aftershave, which is all alluring. As God's children, living in a wealthy consumer society, constantly we should examine ourselves regarding our response to what the world covets, realizing that so easily it can affect our attitudes as well. Finally, John mentions the pride of life. This is closely linked to what I mentioned before. It means that you live for the delusion of the day and the illusion of the glamour of this world. We are more concerned about what people may think of us rather than what they will say uh, or say about us rather than what God will think of us. We try to make it in this world being less concerned about what will happen afterwards. We push that away. Perhaps we don't want to admit it, but deep down, that's what we are worried about. We are worried what people will say. That's what John calls the pride of life, catching up with the Jones next door, always eager to impress, always wanting to be one up. As I have read it somewheres, you never let pass a chance in a conversation to make a point that exalts yourself, putting the here a little lower down the ladder. 
Beloved, why should we be concerned about what people may say about us? Perhaps we should think more about the fact that we may find comfort in that though we are sinners, we fail in many ways. Nevertheless, our name is upheld and cleared in the beautiful way by Christ before the throne of the Father, and that, in the end, is the only thing that counts. Don't worry about the pride of life. Instead, simply be a good steward of the talents God has entrusted to you. Work with these talents, not to receive human glory, but to receive mercy from God, and that's what really counts. So the lust of the eyes, sorry, so the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life, all this, so John says, is not of the Father, but is of this world. Next we read in verse 17a, and the world is passing away and the lust of it. This means not only do the world's attractions fail to satisfy, but in addition, they do not last either. Therefore, why should we, who are heirs to, of eternal life, set our hearts, our interest, our ambition on something that is only fleeting and totally unreliable? Beauty fades away after a few decades at most. Wealth is uncertain. Fame is short-lived. And popularity, popularity is always precarious. I think here also of what the Apostle writes in 1 Corinthians 7, verse 29 to 31. And if we can again open our Bibles to this passage as we find it in 1 Corinthians 7, verse 29 to 31. reads as follows. What I mean, brothers, is that the time is short. From now on, those who have wives should live as if they have none. Those who mourn as if they did not. Those who are happy as if they were not. And those who buy something as if it was not theirs to keep. Those who use the things of the world as if not engrossed in them. For this world, in its present form, is passing away. Of course, we enjoy many things, but not in an unlimited way. Example, not in the way that we are so taken up by these things, that God's kingdom becomes secondary in our life. The Christian life must be lived in the realization that there is no time to waste. The form of this world is passing away. Therefore, as God's children, we should not set our hope on what this present world has to offer for us. Instead, we may set our hope on a new world, for example, a new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. God has assured us that this world is coming. <clears throat> Beloved, cling to this promise, promise and live your life accordingly. Don't set your hope on something, no matter how beautiful it might be, that in the end will not last. Instead, let us set our heart on doing God's will. After all, so John says, only this has everlasting value. Verses 17b but he who does the will of God abides forever. This brings us to the third and last point of this afternoon's sermon in which we will address the question, what is the alternative? <coughs> One could say verse 17 speaks about the antithesis, about the distinct contrast between living for the pleasures of this world, and doing the will of God. Again, then we are not allowed to withdraw ourselves to some kind of reformed island away from this world. 
I think here of Christ's high priestly office recorded in John 17, especially the verses 15 to 17. These words make clear that we have a place in this world. Yet at the same time, as God's children, we also have to make it clear by our way of life that we are not one with this world and that our life has a different focus. We have to make clear to those around us that we have a distinct alternative to live for. The reason for this distinct alternative lies in the fact that we belong to Christ, who bought us with the price of his precious blood. Since we are Christ, we also want to live for him. That's how it goes between bride and groom, bridegroom and bride, isn't it? So the point is, do we really want to live for Christ? Briefly, this comes down to this challenge, which we will face every day and again, whether the guiding principle of our life is doing and getting what we want, or do we want to obey God's will, following his purpose with our life? The choice between these two, beloved, is ultimately the choice between heaven and hell. Saying this, I don't mean that we will receive entrance into heaven by doing God's will. This would be Arminium. Our entire salvation lies in Christ's perfect sacrifice on the cross and in nothing else. Yet, out of thankfulness for this salvation, it should be our joy and delight to do God's will. Out of thankfulness for the redemption we have received, which is by mere grace, it should be our joy to surrender every part of our life to Jesus Christ as Lord of our life. As I have read this somewheres, only such a thoroughgoing commitment can adequately express the love we owe him for all that he has done for us. In the beginning of the sermon, I said that living a wealthy consumer society at times the danger is there that as church members, we try to get the most out of two worlds. Of course we love the world and we want to serve him, let no one doubt this. However, at the same time, we also want to enjoy this world. For example, we still want to know our favorite sport, we want to know how our favorite sports club has fared on Sunday. So we can't wait to hear the scores or even worse, we tape it so that we can watch it another time fooling ourselves that we have been in church the whole time, so to serve the Lord. Nothing wrong with this here. This is just an example, but I hope you get the drift of it. Having come to the end of the sermon, I hope it's clear to all of us, young and old, that such an attitude is wrong. We cannot serve two masters. Either we live for the world, or we live for God. Neither of them is content with just half of us. Hence, we are to make a clear-cut stand. Again, this does not mean that we have to go out of this world. This is our Father's world, where we may enjoy many things as gracious gifts of God. We may enjoy many things, yet never for our own selfish pleasure. Our aim should always be to thank God for what he gave. Perhaps this is a good measuring step, stick. Whether you have enjoyed something, you can really go on your knees to thank God for what you gave. For example... After a night out with friends, you could pray, I thank thee, Lord, for such a wonderful evening given to me. I did not deserve this. If we live this way, we may enjoy this world, not next to God, beyond or above God, but in God. We may enjoy earthly possessions and riches God has given us and so many other things, thanking God for these wonderful gifts and making the most of them to God's glory. For example, that wonderful holiday during which I may spend time to relax. Comparing our lives with the early 
immigrants of the 50s of the previous century, God has richly blessed us. Materially, we are well off and lack nothing. Beloved, may God grant that these blessings will never testify against us, but that we may indeed enjoy them in the Lord. In conclusion, in our life, beloved, it is indeed dominated by this godly joy. It is simply impossible that our desire still goes out to the fleeing pleasures of this world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. After all, living in the joy of faith, we have something much better to live for. Therefore, let us take a warning from this afternoon's sermon to heart. Let us live daily in the realization that the world is passing away and the lust of it. But he who does the will of God abides forever. Brothers and sisters, both young and old people, when it comes to the choice between these two, where do you stand? Amen. Thank you.